You're listening to the Eyes on Washington podcast, Holland and Knight's overarching public policy and regulation podcast series. Our public policy and regulation group has an ideal combination of lawyers and lobbyists with a comprehensive understanding of the federal policy and regulatory process. This series will shine a light on the shifting dynamics of governmental entities in the ensuing changes in economic or political policies, laws, and regulations that can have a critical impact on the health and future of your business. Hi, everyone. Welcome to your monthly shot of Tax and Tequila, where we aim to bring you entertaining tax tidbits with a wedge of random information about tequila on the side. My name is Nicole Elliott, and I'm joined by my colleagues Josh Odins and Chris Armstrong. Today, we're going to talk to you about the tax gap. What is it, why you should care, and what we can do about it. Nicole, thank you. Um, before we jump in, uh, I'd like to share a cocktail fact. So we're switching from tequila to a cocktail. As we get into summer, one of my favorite cocktails to sip is Manhattan. It's a fairly basic cocktail of bourbon or rye. I prefer rye. Sweet vermouth and bitters. It sounds very simple, right? Well, it's what's not simple is the history of the cocktail. Uh, so there's a really funny tale or interesting tale that is, it was invented by a bartender at the Manhattan Club in New York in the 1880s for Winston Churchill's mother, Lady Randolph Churchill. It's likely false, though, because at the time that she allegedly ordered the cocktail, uh, she was in London and pregnant. So it was definitely impossible for her to be there at the time. Another possible origin is that in the 1880s, a man named Black created it at a bar on Houston Street, 10 doors down from Broadway. Uh, but either way, the truth is lost to history, but the Manhattan emerges in literature and newspapers in the 1880s. So we know it's at least uh, as old as the 1880s. When is our podcast you know, about the long history of like, alcohol and taxes? Because it's a long, absolutely, absolutely interesting history. I just want to raise that's its own podcast one day. I think we really ought to do. Yes. Yes, there is a large history uh, with taxes, with tequila, with Manhattans, and I think we're going to touch on that a little bit later with respect to the tax gap. But let's first talk about a little bit what the tax gap is. Believe it or not, taxpayers don't always pay their taxes, and the delta of that amount is called the tax gap. That is, it's the amount that is owed when taxpayers do one of three things. First, they neglect to file their income, their tax returns, and that is the non-filing taxpayers. The second category that is makes up the tax gap is those that file a return to report a tax due, but underestimate the tax that they actually owe under federal law. That is, these are the under-reporting taxpayers. And the third category is those who file a tax return to report a tax due and do so accurately, but fail to send in a check. And these guys are called the underpaying taxpayers. And interestingly, if you look at the numbers, the biggest portion of the tax gap is made up of those taxpayers, the individual taxpayers, I should say, who fall in the second category. That is, they file a return to report a tax due, but underestimate the actual amount that they need to pay under federal tax law. The tax gap and the fact that there is one represents an enormous amount of money 
And it was put into the spotlight recently when IRS commissioner, during a hearing before Congress, provided his opinion that this tax gap, this delta, was somewhere in the range of $1 trillion. This was news, of course, because the last time the IRS estimated the amount of the tax gap, it was around a third or a half of this amount. While we are not exactly sure what the final number is, the fact that the tax gap is approaching even anywhere near this $1 trillion mark caught the attention, as you can imagine, of many. $1 trillion can buy you a lot of tequila. Yes, it can, Nicole. Well, very much like the Manhattan, there's a lot of history underlying the tax gap. This is not our first go around with the tax gap. If you rewind the clock, to 2004, uh, the tax gap caught fire, you might say. The Senate Finance Committee, then chaired by Senator Grassley, and then ranking member Max Baucus requested the Joint Committee on Taxation to study the tax gap and prepare options. And then in 2006, ranking member Baucus put a hold on uh, Treasury nominee Eric Solomon, who was universally loved, but put a hold on him until Treasury delivered its tax gap plan. So if you look at the JCT options, which are available on the JCT website, you will see an emphasis on reporting. So JCT proposed basis reporting on securities, uh, reporting on mortgage interest payments, uh, sorry, mortgage interest uh, amounts that taxpayers paid and would later claim as deductions. And then also reporting on offshore bank accounts. So FACA has its genesis in both the JCT report and also investigations at the Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations. Besides reporting, there was also an emphasis on substantive provisions where JCT thought taxpayers might have been using provisions that it didn't like. And one area where JCT recommended some tightening of the law is in 163J. And ultimately, it took more than a decade, but eventually changes were made to 163J to make it tighter. When I was at Senate Finance uh, in 2007, 2009, I unfortunately spent every single Friday with the team, my counterparts, Republican staff, finance, uh, Democrats, JCT, and Treasury staff, and we spent every Friday coming up with tax gap proposals to close the tax gap. It's a tremendous amount of work. It was, uh, in some respects, torture on a Friday afternoon. But a lot of those provisions eventually became law. We took what JCT gave us, uh, refined them, and they ended up becoming law. So, Chris, nothing's new, but I think we do have some new starters um, in the Green Book. Did you want to talk about what we're seeing uh, as part of the fiscal year 2022 Green Book? Sure. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. The uh, Green Book includes a a kind of you know it, it's essentially let's see two buckets right compliance and then also administration you know withdrawal. So in compliance, it includes about six point seven billion purely on program and tech efforts. It includes I think it's about seventy three billion on just kind of kind of IRS funding writ large. The most interesting thing under compliance is there's a, a broad proposal to increase information, you know, reporting from banks to the IRS, as it's in the 
you know, a green book, you know, to any account that has a, a gross flow threshold, I believe over $600. And so that's, that's a huge expansion. And I think that, you know, a recent fence, as we'll kind of talk about, you know, I think you're next will be a challenge on that. But the, um, the green book estimates that that proposal alone would raise 463 billion um, over uh, 10 years. Uh, on tax administration, it has, of course, kind of oversight, you know, of paid uh, preparers, which is, you know, long been an IRS goal, was the issue of the Loving case back in 2000, let's say that was 2009, includes other aspects like um, uh, increasing the statute of limitations on uh, listed transactions from its current range of three years up to six years. But the, um, you look, you know, this is always, you know, an issue that Congress looks at as, well, I mean, this is easy money and it's not easy money, right? If it was easy, we'd already have it, right? I mean, I I was always doing kind of, you know, oversight and investigation like tax matters under ways and means and under under uh, Chairman Hatch uh, and uh, Grassi as well over on finance. And the hard part about the tax gap is that, you know, a lot of this is business income at the individual level. And that's hard to do oversight of, right? Unlike, you know, and this is outside of the tax gap, you know, I mean, illegal income or or simple kind of tax avoidance that's not really against the law. So, you know, those are kind of two different issues that are often talked about as, as, as if it's one issue. You know, I think it's, Chris, it's really important to also to note that a lot of the proposals for the tax gap, as you pointed out, our tax are focused on reporting, and that will disproportionately fall on businesses. And it's very costly to implement new systems for reporting. In some cases, the data may not exist. So not everyone collects TINs for every single transaction, for example. And so it will require programmers to understand what needs to be collected, create the systems, implement the systems, but also talk with the customers and uh, and collect that information because the first time a customer logs on uh, or interacts and, and sees, wait a second, I've got to provide my social security number. Why would I want to do that? Uh, so it's a, it's very much a, um, you know, there needs to be significant transition. Businesses need to have the opportunity to, to make the programming changes. So it, once again, a lot of the tax gap compliance side uh, will fall on business to help the IRS uh, close the gap. Exactly right. Maybe it would be helpful to turn to uh, a an unrelated issue that does relate to how the IRS will be able to address the tax gap. So recently, ProPublica wrote an article. It, it received taxpayer information. We think it's taxpayer confidential information, but we don't know the source, but it's but possibly it came from the IRS. And ProPublica wrote a story describing how certain high net worth individuals have low effective tax rates. I don't think there's anything um, illegal that's been described in these articles. It is, you know, tax planning, how, how wealthy individuals are taxed if they have significant securities and do not trigger gains. They're not paying tax until they have a realization event. But I think the more interesting piece is how ProPublica received the information. And if it did receive the information from an IRS leak or somewhere else in the government, 
um, that could have consequences for IRS funding and resources, which the IRS will need to address the tax gap. If you think about the volume of information reporting, the IRS needs systems to process the information. It may need artificial intelligence to provide analytics to see if there's an audit risk for certain individuals or entities. And then it will need a workforce to go out and enforce. Um, So, I mean, Chris, what are your thoughts about the ProPublica leak? Sure. So it's interesting. It, you look at the outset. Uh, you know, I mean, we have no idea the source of this, you know, tax info. Um, it, you know, if it came, you know, in a a kind of outside breach of the IRS, that's obviously a huge issue, and you know, it's an issue Congress will take a lot of interest in. If it came inside the IRS, it's even a bigger issue, um, and, and it's you know, at a time when you know, a huge push towards tax compliance is you know, information reporting. It could not have come at a at a worse time for the IRS. You know, I mean, you know, this will be you know every time that I encountered in either a you know, alleged leak or, or an alleged a kind of attack, you know, outside attack on the IRS. You know, in my time on the Hill. It resulted in, you know, at times a month long and times a years long investigation, um, you know, on on our end, you know, TICTA as well and, and others. And I have to imagine that happens here as well. A big part of closing the tax gap is, in my opinion, about giving the IRS more resources. The IRS has been historically underfunded uh, with their IT to staff across the board. And increasingly, they are required to do and enforce complex laws. Even with the COVID response, for example, we saw a requirement that the IRS had to send folks economic stimulus checks. Uh, And now with the advanceable child tax credit, the idea that the IRS is really going to almost transform into a social welfare agency and will have to send out checks to those eligible on a regular basis is a really significant lift. And I felt that before the ProPublica story ran, there was some bipartisan growing support to fund the IRS at a higher level. And I think you're right, Chris, unfortunately, this um, cloud of where did this information come from? Is it the IRS? Are we giving the IRS too much power if we give them more money? Um, Will stymie that momentum, uh, I fear, to better fund that agency. Right, right. I think that's a really, really important point. And too often, uh, you know, Congress looks at the IRS as as a magic wand. It can do anything. And it can't. It, it doesn't have enough money. It has a hard time because it has to. You know, it has a lot of kind of IT needs, and it you know, only has kind of, you know, I mean, uncertain you know, annual budgets. And so it's hard to you know, undertake large scale IT projects in that way. Right? I mean, that's always been a challenge at the IRS. Yeah, but just following up on that point, the IRS not only do they have to do more in times of crisis, whether it's stimulus checks, which we did in two thousand eight. Uh, 2009, or healthcare reform, which was a very significant tax reform bill. A lot of the ACA does run through the code and required a lot of implementation, as Nicole knows. Uh, But then also we had TCJA in 2017, 
We've changed how partnerships are audited in BBA. So we have a lot of sea changes, and yet the headcount decreased by 20% as the IRS was asked to do more. And let's face it, the world got a lot more complicated. So we are putting a lot of strain on the service. And you know, part of I think part of also fixing the tax gap and one area that probably doesn't receive as much attention um, other than from Treasury Inspector General or the taxpayer advocate is taxpayer service and how the individuals interact with the IRS. We all have to interact with the IRS every year, at least once, some of us more often. And it would be helpful to have an interface uh, system where it's easy to touch base with the IRS to see your transcript in real time, you know, to have the, the, to have the resources to be able to place a call and ensure that someone will pick up very quickly, not in 45 minutes or three hours later. That all requires money. So once again, uh, that's a different way of addressing the tax gap is to engage taxpayers. That is more behavioral and the taxpayer advocate has written extensively about different ways to get people to proactively engage with the IRS. Oh, that as well. You know, it, it's important to, I mean, IRS is in a hard, hard place here, right? Because lots of the actions that it would take, you know, to actually shrink the gap, you know, would be, it'd be challenging politics, right? There's a lot of cash heavy, for example, restaurants, other, you know, smaller businesses are a part of this issue. And that's hard to tackle if you're the IRS. No, I agree. And while people, uh, you know, back in the 1990s, we had the Roth hearings where there's a focus on IRS bad behavior. A lot of that turned out to be just politics um, and not actually accurate. Um, but I'll just point out our IRS is nothing compared to tax authorities in other jurisdictions where an audit begins when uh, with a raid and machine guns drawn, seizing of servers. Um, those of you who do business in some European jurisdictions are probably aware of, of what an Italian raid is like. Uh, and so that is, you know, that's correct. The IRS, it needs to be able to audit more. It needs those resources. And that's why I think this ProPublica leak could negatively impact the IRS's ability to get more funding. Yeah, I just want to add as well, because look, I you know, I spent about 12 years doing oversight of the IRS and there were a lot of those. But, you know, the takeaway I had after all of that time was to easily 99 times out of 100 or more. I mean, it's hardworking, amazing people working hard. And it's it's I walked away with a completely positive impression of the actual IRS workers they're, they're you know, underfunded. They are given extremely, extremely complex laws and often extremely short timeframes. And, and uh, that's a challenge that, you know, it's, that's, it's not only, only the IRS for that. Well, I think we're at the end of our time together. I hope we have piqued your interest in tax and in this really important issue of the tax gap. Stay tuned for our next episode where we will take seemingly mundane issues of tax and try our best to entertain and educate you. Stay tuned and stay tax compliant and please drink sensibly. Thank you for listening to the Eyes on Washington podcast brought to you by 
Holland and Knight's Public Policy and Regulation Group. For more information on our Public Policy and Regulation Group, please visit hklaw.com slash PPR.